You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and this is On Principle, Challenges in Jewish Education. And for the second time, I am here with someone who I had the great honor and schluss to have as a student and is now, of course, past me way beyond, uh, Rabbi Dr. Zev Elif, who is now, I have to refer to you not as just Rabbi Doctor, but I also have to refer to you as President Elif, right? You are the uh, recently ensconced president of Gratz College. Um, in Philadelphia, so two days on the job, yeah. But um, uh, the the folks uh, on the podcast can't see me uh, turning my head back and forth. Uh, yes, get used to it. So, uh, are, are you going to be? Um, uh, is that the way the students or the staff is going to address you, President Elif? Is that the way they they need to address you? No, no, no. Um, the staff addressed me as Zev. Uh, it's, I always say that's how my mother named me. Yeah, uh-huh. um, student, most of grad's operations are on the graduate level. So we have adult learners. Uh-huh. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't necessarily appreciate having that uh, distance uh, between uh, administrators, faculty. It, it's a different level. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the last uh, 10 or 20 years, perhaps, um, has sullied that president title oh. <laughs> in a way that, you know, I have my, my, my close friend, uh, uh, Moish Bain, who of course has been the president sure. of the OU. I was in, in, in high school with him together. Oh. So I always uh, joke around with him when I see him and, you know, call him the president and, you know, he's, well, he's uh, a lay president. I'm a staff president. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Well, President President Elf, you know, I, 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 I'm, we're all happy, of course, uh, especially people who knew you when you were younger and have uh, have watched you, uh, really, your meteoric rise in 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 Jewish scholarship. And really, um, I praised you before on the previous show. I don't want to repeat that again. But I, I, okay, <laughs> you can always listen to that again if you want. <laughs> put yourself to sleep with it. But what I was want to ask you about really is about, especially now that you're in Gratz College, which I understand is a, um, I guess you would call a non-denominational school, right? It's a school that, uh, I, there's a person I work with, by the way, a Philadelphia boy, a former, you know, lives in Philadelphia still. And he said, yeah, my father went to that school. Yeah. Uh, his father, right. Yeah. yeah. His father's a Frum fellow. And he says, yeah, it was like standard, the school you talk a little bit about that school. Let's let's move from there to, in general, about pluralistic schools. So Gratz is the oldest independent Jewish college in the United States. Uh, founded in the 1890s um, by the Gratz family. Not related to, when people hear about Gratz, they usually think about Heinrich Gratz, the uh, pioneering Jewish historian in Germany, the wayward student of Samson Raphael Hirsch. Now this is, that's G-R-A-E-T-Z. This is Gratz, G-R-A-T-Z, um, most notable uh, member of this uh, prestigious uh, family is Rebecca Gratz. Uh, she was the she invented essentially uh, the Jewish Women's Sisterhood and the Benevolent Society mm. and the Sunday School. A lot of firsts came out of Philadelphia, uh, most by either she that is Rebecca Gratz or by uh, Isaac Leeser, who was an interesting uh, minister rabbi uh, for a oh. long time in Philadelphia. Um, the family, when the last heir to their fortune uh, passed away, the will had it 
and Hyman Gratz's will that a college be formed. Uh, it wasn't too much detailed on what that college, sh how it should be shaped. And so it's taken on many forms um, as a teacher preparatory school. Uh, but when most people think about Gratz, uh, they're thinking about its, uh, its heyday. We hope to uh, come up with a new heyday. Uh, shortly, and it's it's in very good shape, very good stead. My uh, predecessor, Paul Finkelman, has really put me in a very good position to continue that success. But um, I think that the gentleman you had referred to, Rabbi Kibbelovitz, um, probably recalls a time in which Gratz was the Talmud Torah, it was the after-school program um, with different satellites, different programs all throughout the Philadelphia area. Uh, and there was a a culture about it, a, a, it was a social networking. It was, it, there was something about it. I haven't quite mm -hmm. put my finger on it just two days in, uh, maybe 72 hours, uh, Arab Shabbos, he'll uh, give me a call, maybe I'll figure it out by then. Uh, but it's, there's, there was something very powerful about that experience for a whole wide swath of Philadelphia Jews. And then over time, uh, the shuls, the synagogues, took over that role of, uh, of educational programming. And of course, the day school uh, for the Orthodox and even the conservative contingent. Uh, there's a very uh, strong community here uh, in Philadelphia. Gratz is, as, as you had referred to, Gratz is a number of these Hebrew colleges. Right. Was the Baltimore Hebrew College is also similar to that, right? a number of years ago into Towson. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and right. Cleveland folded into Case Western, uh, Boston Hebrew College, which is Hebrew College, um, probably did the most radical transformation when they became a trans-denominational rabbinical school, as mm. well as other programs as well, um, AJU, to a certain degree, they're um, not as old as some of these other programs, but they're doing some really important things in the Valley in Los Angeles, but many of these schools have folded. Um, or transformed very bad dropsy also right, which is a philadelphia school folded into uh, the cat center to the university of pennsylvania um spurtis uh is in chicago but yes uh, moved away i think from some of these programs right, but you know spurtis and and which i'm familiar with for the 20 years i spent there sure. um i think the the point i was trying to get to is that you anybody could be uh comfortable walking in there. What I'm saying is, is that when we talk about this non-denominational brand, I don't know if it's a brand at all. It's like the, it's like non-brand. And therefore you could have, you know, I, for example, Spurtis, I was very close with Dan Sharon, who was the librarian in Spurtis. I called him up all the time and he was always ready to, to zero, you know, Kathy Block, I, I know, sure. I know her a little bit. Kathy's but, wonderful, yeah. Yeah. But the point is, yeah, they're always ready to help and we'll make copies for you, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get the research that you want. We well, can librarians find. naturally are very helpful. I, I agree. But but the point, though, is it's not like I'm going into the enemy's camp. Right. It's not like, you know, you're the Orthodox rabbi. Oh, you got to be careful here. You know, are we are you going to get into a philosophical debate? Are you going to get into a theological debate? I, I, what I'm trying to say is it's, it's interesting that, you know, the umbrella Everybody can fit under there and be comfortable there. Uh, is, is that what Gratz is going to be too, as far as, you, well, as, as you're concerned? Well, Gratz, I think for a long time, fit into that model, uh, a, a big tent, so to speak. We're talking about pluralism. But I think the American Jewish community is in the process of changing its position on what it means by pluralism. 
Um, what I mean by that is pluralism for a long time meant margarine. It meant um, let's not talk about our differences. Let's talk about how we can get along. And, you know, for many, many decades and hopefully much longer, uh, the American Jewish community rallied around Zionism, for instance, as a, a common denominator uh, of a conversation piece around uh, Jewish pluralism. But there was sort of a, uh, an unspoken uh, rule that in these uh, pluralistic spaces, we talk about what unite us, not what divide us. I think that stance on pluralism is changing. I think that there is an eagerness um, to have more collaborative discussions. And so it's not about margarine. Uh, what I like to say is it's like mun, like manna, where these spaces ought to be to taste the way that you want it to taste. And so um, everybody in their own place should experience it, how they individually almost on, and it's part of that on-demand American consumer culture that probably has much to do with it. Um, but what I've seen in the American Jewish community largely is much more of a substantive acceptance of you do what you do. You pray the way that you'd like to pray. You learn the way that you'd like to experience Judaism, the way that you'd like to experience and that's okay, and I'll do it my way. And it's allowed for all different kinds of Jewish communities to better interact with one another. I think what you're saying is, and in other words, and you say it very eloquently, but I guess the way I'm understanding it is, instead of just being, you know, a place that's bland, as you call margarine, a place where you know, let's stick to a topic that we're not going to fight over, but we're all probably uh, support, like most no matter what faction support the idea of uh, Jewish presence in the state of Israel. And right. Let's find a place where th there's something here that uh, you can get a certain satisfaction that you probably maybe wouldn't be able to get someplace else. Yeah. And it's, and, and there's, but on the other hand, you're also saying Zev, that it ties into what you call is the on-demand but that on demand is very individualistic, right? In other words, it's 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 what's on your playlist on your phone. It's you know it's 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 catered to what you like to stream, uh, and therefore it's it's almost like the sense of a a community uh, is anyway falling apart everywhere. I mean that's that that's true. I mean we it can is, we can we can talk for hours about this yeah, in, but, in, in every Jewish uh, field, even among the Hasidim. The, but there it, are elements within education, within learning, within culture. That are much more that we're much more literate about about one another. So text learning is du jour, right? It's uh, federation leaders will deliver debater for years now before mm. a, a meeting, and they but they they'll do it in much more substantive study. They'll quote chapter and verse from Ramban al Torah, uh, and, and they'll use. Hebrew terms. Nobody uses the term Sabbath any longer. It's Shabbat. Even it's it's Shabbos in many spaces that you wouldn't have ever have dreamed in the 70s or 80s that they would have used that Yiddishism of Shabbos. It would have been the Sabbath or Shabbat. And now there's an embrace of, of a certain rigor and sophistication. And you're seeing that with not just in um, in the education spaces, the educate the traditional education spaces, colleges, uh, community day schools, uh, but you're seeing it in uh, organizations like Safaria, 
um, which is an online library of essentially traditional biblical and rabbinical texts. Um, and that embrace of it, um, that is um, that language that is reaching such different spaces within the American Jewish Oh, community. no, definitely. Uh, once you, I think that's a very good point. I think once you have uh, a commonality of text and that's right. uh, what, what's going on now is, the, first of all, the, 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 the conversation is going to have to be deeper <laughs> because there's going to be interpretation, there's going to be subtlety, there's going to be nuance. It's not just going to be a bunch, as you say, margarine or bland, you know, truisms or things that everybody wants to hear. They're, they're, you know, they're, I, don't, I don't mean to say no, margarine is very good, of course, right? Anybody who's in the kitchen for a moment knows uh, <laughs> that margarine is essential. Um, I don't mean to say it's bland, but it's part of yeah. Okay. Um, but let, let me ask you another thing, you know, and, and, and I think that what you're talking about has, uh, it really ties into the whole, our own, you know, the whole world society in terms of uh, becoming much more literate and savvy and, and knowledgeable, um, you know, <laughs> even people's tastes in, 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 in what they understand in the in, in pop culture is much more sophisticated than than it used to be because of the access that they have to the internet the access they have in the palm of their hands uh the ease with which information can now flow into them so you're correct we're definitely it, it, it isn't we're not just talking about um making uh, large expansive statements we're talking about really thinking about stuff and and maybe real change but i guess what i want to ask you do you do you see of course, you're the president of the college now, but do you see an affinity between, let's say, your school, which is of higher learning, and let's say other pluralistic uh, institutions? Uh, I'm going to name a couple of them that I'm familiar with. I was in Houston for a couple of years. There's Emory Wiener, which is a, uh, uh, basically a non-denominational, a Jewish school that has teachers from all different stripes. Um, Gann Academy, I believe in Boston, right. Ben Gamla. In, in in Miami, um, went to charter school. I think has been got my charter school. I think so. My but friend I Adam. I see, I see what you're driving at, of course. Well, yeah, uh, my friend Adam Siegel started it, so I, I'm just mm-hmm. going with what he told me. My sure. point is, is that this has become a place. Let's talk about Jewish education specifically. Yeah. That kids, even from Haredi or from yeshiva backgrounds, are finding places and acceptance and growth there where they might not have found it in some of the other schools. Um, and it isn't just because, oh, they, they had some sort of strange uh, personality tick. There was something about that. It wasn't a Schechter. It wasn't a, a, a school that had fealty to, you know, Schechter or Heschel. It was non, specifically non-dominational. Talk a little bit about, about the success of those schools and the yeah. future of those schools. Well, one of the pioneering schools of this type is Beth Tefilla in Baltimore. Um, and I'm familiar with a number of them. I never attended uh, these schools. I'm a um, graduate of Ida Crown Jewish Academy and you were my teacher. And yes, yes, yes. I had, um, I told the, um, I would say that those schools are successful, number one, because they are, most of them, uh, fashion themselves as elite preparatory, college preparatory schools. Right? They produce terrific academic programming. Um, and I, I think you're right uh, that there is a, a wide swath 
of acceptance. And of course, um, there, there are red lines, right? Uh, they will try to accommodate as well, um, different branches and have different minyanim, of course. But they are somewhat, although they, they tend to have the highest tuition uh, in, in a Jewish community. Um, they are, to a certain extent, a solution to the so-called tuition crisis, of course, as in most of the day school population are Orthodox. Um, Orthodox Jews more and more tend to uh, require what I've called in other places, boutique style religion. And they want their specific type. They want um, a school that caters to either uh, to just boys, to just girls, deliberately to co-education, but with this type of hashkafa, with this type of learning, with this type of principle. And all of a sudden, if one piece is out of order, well, then we need to start a new school. And that's just not sustainable. So what the community day school suggests is let's have a catch-all. Let's try to bring people together. Um, Financially, it's far more sustainable. Uh, you know, the the secret, I don't know if it's an open secret, but it's certainly um, factually correct, is that in the, during the day school movement, the explosion in the 1940s to the 1960s, uh, the reason why these schools were affordable is because you had so many of these, at those times is what they call them, it's not my term, um, the so-called non-observant Orthodox Jew. Uh, you had these families who moved to the suburbs who weren't observant the way that orthodoxy would have anticipated or required this couple to be, but they would never send their child to public school or to a Solomon Schachter. Of course, they would send to the Orthodox states when they needed to recite Kaddish, Rahman al-Atzlan. They wouldn't ever pray in a reformed temple. They would park down the block, maybe around the corner, put their, uh, you know, their car keys in their pocket uh, very discreetly and recite Kaddish in an Orthodox shul. That's the type of family that would send their children. They were a sizable population of these day schools in that formative uh, post-war period. We don't have those anymore. And, and, and they were upwardly mobile, mm -hmm. which allowed them to sometimes carry the burden of the greater expense burden that these schools Correct. had when yeah. they started up. And that, and, and that quotient, that segment of the American Jewish community doesn't much exist any longer. And when that vanished, so did a very reliable subsection of your tuition paying customers to the day schools. Aside from that, day schools have become very expensive because rightfully so we require support staff uh, occupational therapists, uh, social workers, all of that builds into the cost of, the, um, of certain uh, expectations of quality of life have also uh, increased costs. All these are, are normal, but that's also, it's a missing piece in the conversation. I, I would also throw in, and of course, you know, uh, you're sitting on the other side of the desk here, but the extremely high salaries of the high administrators, which was something that was not known uh, when I was going to those day schools. The, you know, the, uh, the, the principal did four or five 
teaching jobs as well. He was also a teacher, but he was a principal. The idea that the principal needed to be a professional principal and, uh, and be the head of school, uh, this caused, I think, in the early 2000s, where you had uh, people of that position, especially in the Northeast, earning close to half a million dollars, which oh, wow. was, which was uh, and that wasn't considered that high, really. Uh, and, and I think that also you know, balloon the cost. Oh, right, elevates the cost of tuition. No, it, yeah. it absolutely could be. But I think Gratz is in a different space because what my vision for Gratz and what they, what we've done well so far, uh, we do we have a terrific program. But, but before you get onto that, I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, no problem. But you you said before, and I wanted to catch you on it, that that's the solution to the tuition problem. Not a the, solution. The, no, but what, what did you mean? when you said that those schools, the community schools could be a solution, is it because there's enough funding from other wealthier people in the, in, well, in, in, right? That's what you meant. Many of them, for example, Emory Weiner and others are, are, are built on tremendous grants that were, that were given, right? Uh, by, you know, secular Jews who, and therefore there's certain, um, uh, the, uh, the infrastructure of the school is pretty much taken care of through a huge amount of monies that 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 have already been uh, placed there is, is that what you meant that the no, school the fundraising assignment what i mean is very is is very simple uh is that when you create a school with a boutique style of religious identity you are necessarily, necessarily looking good for it to break i you're I... narrowing your population that you're recruiting from and so when you are when you're decreasing the denominator, your numerator needs to increase. When you're trying, when you have a school that is amenable to a, a wider uh, recruitment base, then the pressure to have that numerator approximate your denominator, well, that pressure doesn't exist as much. Yep. I think I understand it. And the math was never my forte, but I think I got it. There's, I, I, I want to add another just to add another layer to that, and that is when you have a, a big community school, um, the a, a something a topic we were discussing before we weren't recording it. The the skills, the learning skills, the uh, ability, the research skills, the study skills, as they're called, are stressed in these in these places. It's true the shas and poiskim and what we would call uh, Talmudic literacy is is almost downplayed completely. They t- they treat Talmud as almost like a a, socio- a, a course in sociology uh, instead of you know the intense involvement. But these um, community schools, the students who come out of there, invariably have great study skills. They they know absolutely and. Yeah. I recall, I recall being, uh, as when I was a doctoral student in Boston, in Brookline, uh, I was very um, often uh, asked uh, to give shirim, to lecture, and many people in the audience did not attend yeshiva growing up, but they were very smart, highly educated, and so they knew how to dissect a, a statement that I made, and, and, and with tremendous erudition analysis ask a very intelligent question usually catching me terribly off guard um, disabusing me uh making me shut down maybe uh but uh but um well people with who are highly trained um know how to ask really good questions 
Um, and that scaffolding is critical. And to build on that with Judeo-Aramaic, that's not as big of a step. I, especially since, again, what I saw in, in my experience, knowing families that sent to these community schools, what they would do is have a supplement the what we call the meat and potatoes learning with a private tutor at sure. night or something. And that was was so much better for them than the sort of wild, uh, you know, jumping off the walls behavior they would get, let's say, in the yeshivas. In other words, they would be in a school that was well run, that was basically physically a very attractive place um, where they weren't made to feel like they were pariahs because they happened to have a keyboard scissors. But on the other hand, and then they would get out of school earlier because the, it didn't have as long of a day. And then they were able, just like the, Talmud, the old Talmud Torahs of old, they were able to actually get Shimush or Chinuch or Hadracha from nice Talmud Chachamim who would study one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three. Um, doesn't that sound great in, in, in many ways? Well, for, for, it is certainly a viable educational pathway. Uh, I don't mean to suggest that we should move to completely pluralistic day schools. I think there's a place for Solomon Shepsters. There's certainly a place for modern Orthodox day schools for yeshivas. But I think the splintering, I think that's the uh, appropriate term, this splintering of the day schools within the Orthodox community has created a redundancy, which is simply not viable. Definitely with the, the, again, wave after wave, if you put COVID and the economic implosion, and, and it, it clearly is, is, is not sustainable, especially at the, uh, uh, at the rates that, uh, you know, the, the, tuitions go, uh, the tuitions go for. Um, you know, let me ask you something, uh, Zev. Uh, you know, I know that, uh, you know, obviously, you're Orthodox, uh, and you've, you've, you've done tremendous research uh, on Orthodoxy. Um, are you expected to not pull and or- push an Orthodox line now as president of Gratz? Are you, are you, are, have you been saying, is, are you like the Naftali Bennett? Yeah, I happen to wear a keep and keep Shabbos, but right. Tell me how that's going to work. Right. So I, I, I make no secret. I identify as a modern Orthodox Jew, as an, uh, a leader within the Orthodox community, leader, scholars, whatever it is, whatever it is I am, a father, a husband. Um, I, the question, the issue never really came up, I, I, to be quite honest. Um, my role within Gratz is to support as many people as I possibly can. We have a large non-Jewish population, our our MED program, and who get it, who understand how the MED, this master's in education program and the EDD program is sponsored by a Jewish college and is imbued by applied Jewish wisdom. And they understand our students who are in the Holocaust and genocide studies um, are not all Jew- we have a PhD candidate right now. She isn't Jewish. She was formative, critically instrumental in ensuring that the state of Maine mandate Holocaust education in public schools. She understands our value system. Um, so that I identify in a certain way, certainly, um, that I have 
ordination that I have a PhD in American Jewish history is quite helpful in a city like Philadelphia, I think. Um, but really, my charge is in developing programming that um, can provide multiple portals of entry. That's a term I've been using. Um, how to be able to partner with um, with a Chabad enterprise interested in uptraining uh, their teachers in the early childhood, but also in the day school. There are more um, Chabad elementary schools than ever before currently, but to also work with rabbis of all types, um, each on their own level, each in their own space, and to respect that. Um, and I'm excited about that. Uh, but my own particular proclivities, um, it doesn't, doesn't even get to the point of a conversation. Uh, I'm happy to have that conversation, but it's, um, I think our project right now, our efforts are anchored in trying to make sure that we have really compelling, really powerful pathways uh, in graduate programming. We have a, uh, a partnership with a, uh, an Orthodox um, college uh, in, in, uh, in Baltimore uh, that we're very proud of. And we have a partnership with the Union of Reform Judaism to uh, provide um, camping education to high school students and to college students. Um, again, uh, the analogy I like to give that's apt is MUN. Um, it, it definitely, uh, as, as you say, you know, the, you know, Chazal have so many interesting things to say about the MUN, about, you know, uh, where, it, where it landed. And uh, it, it depends on your, uh, I guess your moral state of, of of where how you're able to get it and how you're able to absorb it. Let me ask something. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, has been a, a big uh, hot button topic. I don't think it was in your in your last position, the school that I um, labored <laughs> in for 20 years, as long as as well as your high school. But uh, your last position, I was uh, a teacher there for 20 years. Everything I got for 20 years there. Um, you know, we hear a lot about what's happening in 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 the upper echelons of universities. We're hearing a lot about uh, the woke culture. We're hearing a lot about cancel culture, woke culture. Um, how careful everybody is about what they have to say, and um, how you know how guarded people have to be on, on their social media presence. Um, uh, do you see any of these issues arising? Is Gratz a little bit? beyond any of that or is or is Gratz part of what we would call the general academic world that uh like any other university that's subject to those type of uh the pressures of that, that we that we know are present in the universities i mean let, let me put it more bluntly um many professors and teachers who i'm friendly with have talked to me and, and said they they have felt the pressure of identity um politics uh they've had to have diversity training they felt that every statement they made has been um you know put on a fine-tooth comb and uh, they they felt themselves uh, under pressure and, and not being able to teach and express themselves i'm sure you've heard this this is nothing course, that, no, no. there's nothing that kivalevich is being machadish to you how is that and HT, what I'm saying is, I don't think that was an issue in HTC. Now that you're at Gratz, are, are, are you discovering that? Are you are you feeling this is a challenge you can deal with? Is Gratz perhaps um, shielded from that because of its Nobody type of role? Nobody is shielded 
from the digital age and the access to one another and the propensity of people to offer their points of view over social media with the click of a button. Um, the agency that we have to have conversation uh, with one another at one another um, is at such a high clip, um, it's unprecedented. Um, so nobody is shielded from that in any space where we may have um, a little bit of a buffer. Um, I think that much of it exists on the undergraduate level. Uh, Gratz really operates on the graduate level, but it exists everywhere. Um, my sense about it, and I'm no expert in woke culture, certainly, um, is the, the antidote to it is positivity. Uh, where you see that consternation it's amid dialogue that is anchored by criticism by negativity i tend to speak positively i'm an affable sort of fellow um i don't know if that's how i've gotten away with not uh being canceled uh but um uh that's that's what i would that's my outlook that would be my suggestion and you know I'm, i have to admit i'm very careful with my social media presence. Um, I am not too terribly active, but I'm present. I have a, I have a footprint in Twitter and uh, in Facebook, um, but I'm careful about how I represent. So that, so that might be, it, it's not, it wouldn't be untoward of you to suggest that uh, to your staff as well, right? It wouldn't be considering the age we live in. It might, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not whispering in your ear, oh, no. but, but that wouldn't be uh, would, would that be, you know, is that the type of thing that you might want to suggest or you want to, you don't even want to make any suggestions. You want to let, let the cards fall as they may. I am really blessed. Grats. And though I said this, I've only, I'm only two days in as a paid employee. I have been involved with the college now for a couple of months from my predecessor. Now the chancellor, Paul Finkelman, um, to my board chair, Kathy Elias, the whole board of governors, the students, the faculty. It's a remarkable community. Um, it's one that has absorbed the digital age. We have most of our programs are online, um, but the staff, I'm talking about IT to library to maintenance. It's such a wonderful group. Um, they, my, I help lead. I work with them. They are my partners. Um, and I really, I, they know what to do. They don't need, they don't need me uh, whispering in their ears. Um, Gratz, Gratz is 126 years of being relevant and supportive. And you know what I, I give the analogy a lot for years. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.